All right, if you wouldn't mind grabbing your Bibles, I'm going to have you turn to the book of Isaiah, which is somewhere in the Old Testament. That was not very helpful, but that's the best I got for you today because we all have different Bibles with different page numbers. Book of Isaiah. So we're in week two um, in our series going through Advent, the Advent of Jesus Christ, which really means the coming of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do um, over these next, these last few weeks is like what we did last week when uh, Pastor Jeff taught us through hope is we're going to look into some of the themes of Advent, the themes that characterize the coming of Christ. Uh, the first one we looked at is hope. Today we're going to look at peace and the next week it will be love and then we'll finish up um, our fourth Sunday with joy. But today we're going to look at peace and thinking about what comes to mind when you think of the word peace. And maybe you haven't given that much thought, but that's going to be how I want to open our time together, which is just with that question. What comes to mind when you think of the word peace? For some of us, I think it's just, it's, it's like the absence of noise. If I, can, if I can just get some quiet, like when the kids are finally tucked into bed at night and you're hoping they stay tucked, you know, if I can... If I can just have that absence of noise, there'll be some peace. Or maybe it's when one of those loud, really violent thunderstorms finally comes to an end and you go, ah, you breathe out, you exhale. Maybe it's, you know, just when some of, the, some of those argumentative voices in your life or relationships, maybe when they finally stop. Maybe it was like when they stopped on Thanksgiving last week and everybody vacated your house. There was finally some Peace. Maybe if you're a student, maybe it's when finals are over and you're so close right now, right? And you go home to your parents, you don't have to worry about school for a month and you think, I'll have some peace. And so we might just have sort of this vague understanding of what peace is, but when we think of it, we think of it as the absence of something. If I could just remove something, if I could just get rid of something in my life, then I would have peace. Maybe you have no idea at all what any of that means because you're just unfamiliar with the sensation. Man, I love the, the movie uh, Rebel Without a Cause, the famous movie from the 50s with James Dean. Some of you will know what I'm talking about, but he's this angsty teenager who has all kinds of issues with his parents, which is called Teenager. Um, but his, the name of his character in, in the movie is called Jim Stark, and he has this moment where he comes into the police station and the, uh, the cop just is just trying to just get real with him and just say, hey, we can, we can talk, you can talk to me. And he, he, he gives this line, which, I, I've always, which has always really struck me. And he says, he says, if I had one day when I didn't have to be all confused and I didn't have to feel that I was ashamed of everything, if I felt that I belonged someplace. What Jim Stark, what he was really uh, communicating in that moment was he just wanted some peace. So the problem, the issue is not that we all desire peace because we do. It's one for one in this room. It's how do we get it? How do we get that peace? And this really brings up the question then, which is what is peace? How do we define peace? Do we think of it wrongly? Are we on a constant quest to gain something that we don't even know what it is? Well, this is what peace is. It's not the absence of trouble 
or strife, believe it or not. It's not really, at the end of the day, the removal of something that creates chaos or confusion or unrest in our lives. In actuality, it's having a heart that remains peaceful in the midst of trouble. That's the actual biblical definition of peace. I grew up in this strangely rural pocket of Southern California. It was strange because there's not a lot of pockets of anything but traffic and you know, asphalt and freeways in, in, in SoCal, as we like to call it, if, if, you, if you're born and raised there. Um, but I grew up in this kind of this rural, uh, this, this sort of this rural community surrounded by these hills in this valley. And I remember one night, um, gosh, there was this banging on our door. I was about eight years old. And it was our neighbor and he yelled, he was banging on the door and he said, Martin, I think he was talking to my dad. I don't think he was trying to get my attention at that point. But he's like, Martin, there's a fire, get up. Of course, our family just oblivious, asleep. And um, so we all get up and we are just surrounded by like a circle of fire on the mountains, just coming in toward all the houses that were, that were in this community. And, um, and I remember we're standing out on our back porch and we're just, we're looking at all this and they got all the, man, they got all the fire departments from all the surrounding counties in on this thing. Again, it's incredible that we were just sleeping through this, but there they are they got all the hoses out and everybody's pitching in and they're trying to contain this fire. And I'm eight years old. And the instruction that I got was go pack your bags Um, because we're probably going to have to evacuate because that's what you do and those kinds of things. And because this was way back in the day, my mom was like getting this box and throwing all of her photo albums in it, you know, which is this, these books that you would put pictures in (laughs) that you would take with these things called cameras that you would get developed. Um, and it showed pictures of like, you know, all the memories you have growing up. Right. Um, and the problem is, is that you could lose them. You know, this is before we had the cloud. Um, but I remember this very specifically because I remember going to my parents after I had packed my bags. And again, it's mayhem, it's chaos surrounding us. And I remember going to my mom and I remember asking her, I said, Hey, does this mean we get to go to a hotel tonight? You know, I have this big smile on my face and she goes, yes, it means we're going to a hotel tonight. Now go finish packing your bags. But there was something in me as a child where I have, we literally were surrounded like a full circle with all this fire coming in um, to our living space. And yet I had this particular kind of serenity because I just assumed mom and dad would take care of it. I just assumed, hey, there's a hotel out there and I love hotels uh, with my name on it and, um, and everything would be okay. And that's a little bit of a description of what we mean when we talk about peace. Peace is not necessarily the removal of the fire, which by the way, it it was contained and everybody was okay. And man, much to my disappointment, we didn't even have to go to a hotel that night. Um, But really what it is, is it's what's going on while the fire is raging around us. And it's having a clarity of mind and a peaceful heart that is trusting the people that are containing our lives. 
And that's a picture of biblical peace. That's what we're going to unpack just a little bit today. And to say this, what if this kind of peace was available to you this morning because of Christ, because of Christmas? The Old Testament prophet, priest, Isaiah, he prophesied about this peace thousands of years ago to the nation of Israel, who, by the way, had no peace because they had repeatedly rebelled against God, but refused to come back to him in repentance. So Isaiah, um, we don't have a lot of personal details about Isaiah. He wrote this massive book in the Old Testament. We don't have a lot of personal details about him, but we do know that he was given prophetic insights by God and that he accurately wrote down these visions that God gave him, which by the way is the mark of a true prophet. He speaks the word of the Lord exactly the way the Lord speaks the word to him. He doesn't soft pedal it. He doesn't take the word in and go, oh man, this is not going to be received well. Is it okay if I rewrite and edit some of those words, right? I'm going to stick this in my Google Doc. I'm going to edit it a little bit. And then I'm going to, you know, kind of come out with a version that the people are going to receive a little bit more. That's called a false prophet. Isaiah was a true prophet. He would receive the word of the Lord and then he would preach it to the people. So what was Isaiah prophesying in his book? Well, Ray Ortland a pastor from Nashville, he gives us a good summary. So instead of writing my own summary, I thought, hey, we have Ray. So this is what Ray said uh, about the book of Isaiah. He says, Isaiah announces God's surprising plan of grace and glory for his rebellious people and for the world. So the Israelites at this stage in their history, they needed peace because Ray goes on to say they no longer were trusting in the promises of God. And their unbelief redirected their future from blessing to judgment. And Ray goes on to say that the book of Isaiah, it's, it's a vision of hope for sinners through the coming Messiah who promised a new world where sin and sorrow will forever be forgotten for all those he ransomed. This was the peace that the Israelites needed and longed for, but were looking for in all the wrong places. And that's just a lot like us as we come together this morning as the church. We are looking for peace in all the wrong places. First off, because like I said, we misdefine what peace even is. And then we have this natural tendency in our humanness to find things outside of Christ to gain some level of peace, to give, us that, to give us that inner calm that we so, so, so desire and that we so long for. But here's what we're gonna learn this morning is that only a person that is both human and divine in origin is able to provide us with the inner peace that we so desperately need and we so long for. Let's just go straight to Isaiah here. It's chapter nine. I'm gonna start with verse six. And it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when we stop right there and we look at this very first line, for to us a child is born and a son is given, what we get right there in, that, in those first few words is we, is we get this picture of who Jesus is, both his human and his divine personhood, right? A child, it says, is born. 
Only a human child can be born. That was, that, was the, that was God's plan from before the foundation of the earth, is that he was going to give us a child that was born of a virgin. And to us, a son is given. Well, he's not just any child, but he's actually the son of God. He's equal with God. He's the second person of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Isaiah is prophesying to the nation of Israel about a deliverer and a redeemer that wasn't gonna come for a long time, but this is who they had to look forward to as much as we now, in our place in history, get to look back to, to understand where our hope and where our peace comes from. So the question then is for us today is what would be different about this king? Because man, Israel had a really bad history with their kings. These were men that for the most part always ended in corruption. They always led their people into idol worship. They always steered their people away from the worship of God. Not all the kings, but such such a large number of kings when you read books like 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Isaiah's prophesying about a different kind of king. And look at what he says here, what we just read in verse six. He would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty king, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace. Isaiah's message for us today, as it was for them, is for peace to be real, we need this kind of king. Amen? So let's just unpack a couple of what these names that he gives, the coming Christ that wasn't going to come for many, many years. Let's unpack some of those names that he gives the coming king. The first one is, he says, wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor, which is a person who is able to make decisions that flow from a heart of wisdom rather than a heart of foolishness. By the way, wisdom which is the right application of knowledge, right? So you get knowledge and you apply it rightly. That would be using wisdom. So in that sense, wisdom is not just intelligence. It's not only just intelligence. I mean, there were many Israelite kings who had intelligence. They had military and organizational intelligence. They were able to command armies. They were able to build cities. They were able to govern the people. But the kings who were godly sought the Lord in everything they did. Before they made a move, they sought the Lord instead of relying on what seemed right in their own eyes. Does that maybe describe the kind of counsel you've received in your own life? Maybe you've heard phrases like, man, you just need to go with your heart on this one. Or you do you. Or you just need to do what's right for you. Only you know that. To which we might reply, but do I? Do I know that? Because although those things seem right in our own eyes, and they give us some sense of control and some sense of agency, when you tell somebody to just do you, in a sense what you're saying is, hey, you don't need to be patient. You don't need to wait You don't need to go before the Lord with a sense of trust and a sense of assurance. You can just take things back into your own hands. It sounds right, but is it wisdom? Is it wisdom? We need a wonderful counselor. We need 
good counsel. We need a wonderful counselor like Jesus because his words are filled with wisdom. In Isaiah chapter 11, if you want to turn up a couple of pages, verses 1 through 5, look how he describes the coming Christ. He says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Jesus said in the book of John chapter eight, he said, I always do the things that are pleasing to my father. The most wonderful counsel we can receive is this. Do that which pleases God by obeying the words of Jesus. This is the wisdom that we call the wisdom from above. If you guys were with us when we went through the book of James last year, it was called the wisdom from above. And James describes it like this. He says, this wisdom from above, first off, it's pure. Then he said, it's peaceable. And then he said, it's gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Then he says this, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So for peace to be real, we need wise counsel from a wonderful counselor or else the shame of our sin will just continue to set our navigation in this world. We need wisdom from a wonderful counselor. We need the words of Jesus. We need something that is a rock. We need something that is not just how I feel in the moment. And man, I just hope it all comes true. That stuff feels good in the moment because it gives us some sense of control that we so desperately want instead of letting go and giving ourselves over to counsel that may cause us to wait. But what we receive in that interim is this thing called peace. Because our trust now is focused on something that can contain it, can contain the storm. Does that make sense? We need a wonderful counselor. Secondly, we need a mighty God is what Isaiah calls the coming Christ. Jesus had to be the mighty God in order to accomplish the mission that God his father sent him on, which was to deliver a people from great darkness. Look at what it says in chapter nine, verse two. It says in Isaiah, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep, deep darkness on them, a light has shone. The mission of Christ to come in as the mighty God to dispel the darkness. And in fact, the title used here for Jesus is the title used of God in Deuteronomy 10 when it says, for the Lord your God is a God of gods. 
He's the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is not partial and he takes no bribe. For peace to be real, we need to stop substituting small g gods for the capital G, God. This is what seeing the great light means. This is, this is what the light of Christ dispelling the darkness of our hearts means. It can only be accomplished by someone who is not only a wonderful counselor, but a mighty God. It's beholding the true and the living God and letting our lives be directed by his words, which are full of love, full of compassion. The story of the Israelites and of us is that we look to the lesser to be the greater. And we have no peace because of it. So kind of going back to the way we define peace at the beginning, we, we kind of look at our lives, we kind of try to live our lives off of the if-onlys, I like to call it. The if-onlys. If only I could. I would have peace if only. If only I could have this relationship or fix this relationship. Because you can't fix the relationship until you get the relationship. If only I had more money to be secure, I would experience some peace. If only I was in better shape, or if only I could just get through this difficult season to the next. But here's the question for us when we think about God being the mighty God given to us through Christ, do we really experience peace when just those things are achieved in our lives? When we just have a little more money in the bank? When we feel like the relationship is just cranking along? Does that really give us peace? Well, not really. Because you're convinced then that peace comes with changing circumstances rather than with a God who is unchanging in all circumstances. Do you see what happens with that? For peace to be real, we need a God who is mightier than our circumstances. We also need, thirdly, an everlasting father. The word father here means benevolent protector. Benevolent protector. Uh, Job, from the book of Job, he describes himself. He described himself this way in Job 29, 16 when he said this. He says, hey, I was a father to the needy and I searched out the cause of him who I did not know. Job was making his, his case, his plea before his friends and before God saying, hey, no, hold on. My character is in line with the character of God. I have, I have practiced a fatherly character in all of my word and in all of my deeds. He was a benevolent protector. Because see, a, a king, and we're talking about a king here, King Jesus, a king can be somebody who is not that, right? We know people who are in authority can be anything but that. They can be somebody who seeks power, who seeks authority, who, who can be a dictator, who sees people as a means to an end or to be instruments towards building an empire. We see that. But a king who is a benevolent father, well, that's different. That's somebody who will care for the needy and be compassionate toward his people. In other words, he will be invested in their peace. Psalm 103.13 reminds us, 
As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Imagine a person who lived to show you compassion in every detail of your life. A person who, when you received bad news, he was already aware of it and he was already attending to it. A person who understands the way you've been let down by an earthly father, maybe way beyond let down, maybe even abused by an earthly father. And what does he do? But he draws you in more deeply to show you the depths of his empathy and his love and his grace and his mercy. For peace to ever be real in your life, you need an everlasting father who Isaiah tells us in in chapter 43, he says, fear not for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not consume you. This reminds us that we were created to be carried by an everlasting father. Nobody here was created to walk alone and to stand alone and to be an individual. That's just rhetoric that's been created for us by a culture that was built by cowboys. That's not biblical culture though. You know what biblical culture is? It's a community like this that receives their love and their compassion from an unfailing father then extends that to their neighbor extends that to the people sitting next to them in these chairs, extends that to the people that they live life with in their community groups. For peace to be real, we need an everlasting father who carries us because that's how we were created to be. And then finally, we need a prince of peace a king who is not only human, but divine in origin. Only this kind of king will be a ruler who will bring about peace when the nations follow his rules and carry out mercy and justice. That's what Isaiah was trying to preach and proclaim to the Israelites because they had forgotten that. You know, it is right for us to want human kings and human presidents to be men and women who seek the Lord and to, and to seek God's wisdom for how to govern people. But no matter who gets into that position of authority, there's going to be so many flaws. That's why we look to Jesus as our ultimate prince of peace. Human princes, kings, presidents, they're always going to disappoint. So listen to me, although we, we need to listen to them, because God has appointed them, we know from Scripture, Our true king happens to be Christ and he can be relied upon to be our peace regardless of the decisions that come down from our earthly rulers. Some of you just happen to be more politically minded than other people. 
Let Jesus give you the peace that you lack when you listen to Fox News, when you click on MSNBC, when you listen to talk radio on your commute to work, when you have podcasts that you subscribe to. Remember who your king really is. Remember what he is offering. Remember the words that he has that you don't have to second guess. Psalm 112 reminds us that the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news because his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. Scripture has better messaging. It has better messaging. And what we see here when we go back to Isaiah 9 is the second part of our passage describes what our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father, and our prince of peace will accomplish. Look what it says in, in verse 7. It says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So this peace that has been established by Jesus Christ, this is not something that just comes back in diminished proportions. It just is increasing. It continues to spread through the world as people come into a relationship with Jesus, experiencing that peace in the raging storms of their life and then spreading that peace to their loved ones and their neighbors. That's the increase of his government. That's the increase of his peace. That's what leads to the justice and the righteousness that will be established and upheld by the Lord of hosts. Because when he does something, he does it and it doesn't fail. So what is peace? It's having a heart that trusts God is in control when everything else is out of control. This is what God promised his people. Piece of cake. Who has ever been able to live like this, though? Who has ever been able to live like this? Well, turn to Mark 4, because our answer is Jesus himself. Mark chapter 4, you want to make a hard right? Go to the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Where do we find a picture of true peace? I tried to give you that analogy in the beginning with me with the fire. It's just incomplete. It doesn't quite cut it. Where do we find a picture of true peace? Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. 
And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? What's a true picture of peace? Is it after Jesus stilled the storm or as Jesus was sleeping before the storm was stilled? It was as Jesus was sleeping before the storm was stilled and the picture of his disciples in the boat with him, afraid, with their eyes focused on everything that was raging around them, not realizing who was with them in the boat. The wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. That's who is asleep on the cushion. And by the way, when Jesus is asleep, it's not like our asleep. Our asleep is we're unconscious, there's stuff coming out of our mouth, right? We are knocked out. We are no good to anybody but ourselves and maybe some other people because they're glad we're sleeping. But when Jesus was asleep, he wasn't any less in control, which is what he was trying to point out to them. Jesus is always in the boat with you. Do you know that? When the storm is raging around you, he said in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But you know what that is? That's, a, that's an active, that's, that, that's, an, that's an act of giving over control to Jesus in response to that promise and that truth for us. That's what it means for us to actively give control over to him. We just, we just don't like that. We're individualists. We wanna, we wanna make sure that we have a grip on the things that we have a grip over. We wanna maintain the control that we actually don't have, that we like to think that we have. We wish our lives kinda resembled a snow globe Man, I love snow globes so much. Where we control the storms. We hold it. We shake it. We make it snow. But how much better is it to know that God controls the storms that he carries us through at the same time they're raging? So let me finish with this as a way to help us understand where we look for peace. As a way for us to understand that in all of its complexity, God is so patient with us, even as the storms are raging around us and we don't know what to do when we're not making good decisions and we're worrying and we find ourselves like little kids who are having a meltdown. I suggest that first off, we take an inner inventory. Take an inner inventory. Do you lack peace? Why do you think you lack peace if you lack peace? You know, Sometimes things are complex. Jesus entered a complex world. He never told the people he ministered to that they were making too big of a deal out of nothing. 
He never said that. He understood the pain and the complexity of human existence. He understood what living in a fallen world was like. He understood what it was like to be a victim of injustice and slander and gossip and lies and abuse and violence. It is a wise thing to look at your life and say, there is no peace here. That's taking a wise inventory. And we take a wise inventory, so secondly, we can locate our peace suppliers. And we're not, we're not a lot different than Israel. Time and time again, they set out false narratives for their peace, and they ended up in ruins. And it's where we end up as well. And you look at a new relationship. You look at increasing your cash flow. You, you ignore things hoping they're just going to vanish. You create distractions that help you forget about pain. You self-medicate in order to bury the real trauma going on in your life. And then you enter the new year hoping the same things that didn't supply you with peace this year will somehow have the power to do it with the new year. Locate the things that you keep going after to supply your peace. And then finally, don't just get through. Go to don't get through, go to. A child was born to us. A son was given to us from God the Father, the only person who is perfectly invested in your peace. He knows that you need wonderful counsel that you're lacking. He knows you need a mighty God instead of the gods that you chase. He knows you need an everlasting father and a prince of peace. So don't get through these unpeaceful times in your life. Go to the one who embodies peace for all time. Gosh, sometimes I just think, will Christmas teach us nothing this year? Let it lead us back to Jesus who will be our peace when we seek his face and we wait for him in hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this message of peace that came from your man, your prophet Isaiah, who was saying that someday a deliverer would come and deliver the peace that we long for. Thank you, Lord, that we now can look back and see that this person was Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, who was born, who lived, who died, who was raised again for our salvation. I pray that this truth would change us today once again. Lord, that these things, these narratives in our life that we go chasing after to find some level of peace, or if we just think we, if only we could just get rid of something or gain something, then we would experience this deep inner calm and hopefulness and trust that we long for. Help us to see the foolishness of that. Help us to take good and wise inventory in that and help us to look to you, Jesus, to be our peace. You didn't say there wouldn't be raging storms. What you said is that you would be with us in the midst of them and you would carry us through them. And in the most ultimate sense, they will not have the last word. Thank you for that truth. Let it encourage us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.